I'll just never forget that day. It was the worst day of my life and the best day of my life all at the same time, if that's even possible, but it was the worst. Welcome to the Recovery Edgecast, Episode 3. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. Today we are joined by Kristen, who I've known for a few years in the rooms, um, probably a little longer than that actually. I've really enjoyed her shares and she's been inspiring to me. I think you guys are going to get a kick out of her story. So without any further delay, let's get started. Welcome Kristen. Um, when's your sober date and where's your home group? Well, my sober date is coming up actually. It's 8-8 of 2017. So I'll be turning three here shortly. Congratulations. And that's a long time for me without a drink and hard drugs. <laughs> I've had the pleasure of hearing bits and pieces of your story. Uh, where's your home group? Oh, my home group, I would consider Happy Treasures. I've heard you share uh, Happy Treasures, mm -hmm. of course, and your story includes drug use. Yep, and, you know, that's just part of my story. I, it took me a long time to realize that I was an alcoholic. Like, I realized I had other problems other than that. Um, but it didn't really set in that once the alcohol is removed, all the craziness seems to be removed for the most part, you know? Um, and it took me a lot of years to figure that out. I had a traumatic experience happen to me when I was 16 that involved um, no not being respected. And I didn't feel safe in my home to really tell anybody. I was just kind of you know, I didn't really know how to feel about it. I wasn't grown enough to really process what had happened to me as a young person. And then I don't even remember when my very first drink was, but I can remember when it started working for me where I could feel more comfortable in social situations. And um, that included alcohol, which then for some reason in my mind, I don't know if this is the same for all alcoholics or not, but my experience has been that when I take a drink somewhere in between one and two beers, all of a sudden I become a completely different person and things that I would never normally think was a good idea all of a sudden becomes not a problem at all. When did you realize that your drinking wasn't normal? Well, I had been warned about it growing up because my grandfather on my mom's side died of alcoholism right after I was born. And he literally drank himself to death. And then my mom drank, um, I can remember being young, you know, and she'd have the hidden boxes of wine all over the house. But I didn't really think much of it, you know, at the time. So, I mean, I guess it had been I told to me and I was like, okay, but like it went in one ear and out the other because um, that's just the way it went for me. <laughs> hmm. And it prog progressively got worse and worse. Like I didn't, I wasn't able, like I went to college and I wasn't able to do that because when I moved um, out of high school, I just went to some college somewhere and immediately was trying to self-medicate with methamphetamine. I don't know why. <laughs> I thought that was a really good idea, but I could concentrate. I got through 
um, some classes and was pretty proud of some of my papers, but that didn't last long. And how were you introduced to meth? Um, honestly, it was uh, there I had a best friend in high school who I think had some troubles, but her name was Amy. And I, I did my first two years in one county, and then my grandfather passed away, so we moved from Castle Rock to Aurora to be closer to my grandmother after um, that happened. And um, there was a lot of really weird family issues going on. Um, my parents were married for like 28 years, and then they divorced, and then my dad came out. And I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> You know, wow. but I just didn't know how to process anything in life, you know, like that one incident when I was, you know, a kid still, and then I didn't have my innocence anymore, and then trying to figure out life from there. Um, it has been my experience that that really damages a person, and I didn't have a lot of self-value after that, and I didn't want to deal with it, and so I just started hanging out with the wrong people because I'm like, you know, I like cocaine and drinking. I can do a lot of both of them. And I just didn't really learn how to, I guess, talk about things or I didn't feel safe. There was a certain way that, you know, it was growing up. It was like my mom was like, you know, you don't have sex till you're married, you know. <laughs> um, but then looking back now, there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on in my family. So... And that's just my immediate family, you know? So um, I feel like in this set of work, I'm really focusing on like working on family stuff, which is actually really hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I just turned 36 years old and I'll be three next month. And it really feels like that, you know? I'm not saying this recovery thing is always easy or that, um, you know, I like to put on the, the face like everything's fine all the time, you know, and it is in comparison to how it was. Right. But I still find that I operate in a lot of fear when it comes to everything because I'm still like, I don't understand this world. <laughs> Did you ever try to moderate your drinking and drug use back then? Yeah. Well, I mean, at first it was like it was very apparent that I had a drug problem, but I didn't care. And then over the years, like, I think I got my first DUI when I was, like, 20 years old. <laughs> All right, so that was my first one. And then, um, so I did little classes or whatever. And then, you know, I was totally did not take any responsibility for that whatsoever. I was just like, this is what happened. These people in this town are weird, you know, because <laughs> I had moved from home to go to Durango to go to college. And I'm like, I don't. I didn't do anything, you know? And there was something that involved the boyfriend I had at the time was trying to take my keys. Um, maybe that was a separate incident. I don't know. I don't know. I'm losing track now, but what was the question? <laughs> I'm sorry. Were there any attempts to moderate? Yeah. Moderate your yeah, I stopped doing cocaine and smoking crack because meth, made me not want to drink. So that like justified, I'm like, well, this is the lesser of two evils because if I'm doing cocaine, um, I am definitely drinking. And, it, and the two like feed off of one another. I don't really know how to explain it. Yeah. And it's hard for me to talk about because there's a lot of stigma involved with those sort of drugs when it comes to you know females especially. Yeah. And so it's been hard for me because I've even had my own 
like family members during hard times. When my grandmother passed away when I was in a halfway house slash rehab center that was like 27 months long, you know. And um, so just what it looks like from the outside, it, that's not how it was, but it was insane, you know, and I'm sad that I got that way, you know, because I'm a, I'm a good person, I think. I wasn't, though, you know, the jackal. Well, you were, <laughs> but, you know. I was a hurt, a hurt person and hurting people, they hurt people, you know? I just, this is my story, this has been my experience. So I feel like there's a lot of different levels of addiction and trauma, because I mean, that was just the tip of the iceberg. When you're out there like that, there's no telling that what's gonna happen to you if you're up for too many days and you fall out somewhere, you never know what's gonna happen. I mean, all your shit's gonna be gone for sure. But that's like the least of your worries, you know? I mean, people like violate you physically and it's um, my experience as a woman in recovery that I, I understand a little bit more of why. It was like the perfect storm, you know? Alcoholism, alcoholism runs in my family. Then that happened and I didn't know how to deal with it and it was just like this like twirl of dysfunctional, you know? Mm -hmm. Drugs don't get advertised like alcohol does. So how did you get introduced to crack? <laughs> okay, so I graduated high school, and I immediately moved to Durango, which was a terrible idea to try to go to school, because I was already, you know, experimenting with the meth thing, and then I got the DUI, and all this crap happened. So in an attempt to run away from myself, I moved back to Denver, and I found this nice apartment complex that was over there in Aurora off of like Havana and something. And I'm moving in all my stuff and there's this white guy that's just out, you know, out there and he offered to help carry my stuff in. And I was like, that's really nice of you. I appreciate that, you know. And um, somehow <laughs> I must have picked up, you know, like why are you up this late or something, you know. Yeah. And. Um, he had mentioned that his drug of choice was crack, and I, oh, I looked down at that at that point. I was like, ew, no, dude. <laughs> you know, but meth was fine for some reason. That was cool. I don't know. That's just the crazy kind of thinking that I had going on. So obviously, I am wherever I move to, so it doesn't work when you run away from yourself. And then... Um, after that, I just did a lot of drinking and a lot of cocaine and a lot of, uh, I just was very selfish and I didn't care. I didn't want to look at anything that had to do with my life. So, I mean, it wasn't until I came here and really realized that when I pick up a drink, those kind of things sound like a good idea to me. What brought you to AA the first time? How did you get into the rooms? You know, people talk about this program, you know, we have to, a, a power greater than ourselves, you know. There was a lot of powers greater than myself that stopped me from a time, whether it be, you know, I went to jail for something, um, I was on probation for something, um, had the, you know, probation officer and the whatever DUI classes and the UAs and, I mean, I guess that's a higher power, but it wasn't 
like recovery for me. So I had been in and out introduced to AA. My mom actually took me to a meeting when I was like, I don't know, 17 or 18, and I was like horrified <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and really offended that she would take me to a place like this. Um, my mom's been sober like 15 years now, so that must have been like right when she was starting, wow. and I said to hell with that really, really quickly. Um, and then during the course of the rehabs and the you know, sober homes and everything, I mean, I had been introduced to the rooms and sat in some meetings, but never, never would do the things on the wall, you know, like the steps, like, fuck that kind of, you know. <laughs> and then finally, I just did, I don't know what happened one day, I started drinking, and of course, the, you know, cocaine and everything came after that, and I was just alone somewhere after getting robbed. <laughs> Getting After getting robbed, like my pert, like whatever I had, I think I had like an electric toothbrush and like my, I don't know, like I've had my passport, my computers, like my wallet, my credit card, just, I don't know, just I didn't care about the people that I was around, I guess, you know, or I did, I thought I did because I thought I fit in here, but it was just all insanity, craziness, like none of those people were my friend. I probably wasn't able to be anybody's friend, you know, I just wanted something to fill whatever void was in me, you know, and, and that's what I found. And sometimes I wish that it didn't have to be like that because I still feel very different than other people, which tells me I still have work to do. You know, this year I'm really seeing that I am not fixed and that the problem does resolve up here, because if I don't take care of uh, my relationship with God, I'm screwed, you know? And I don't know how I've started taking my own will back really necessarily, because it seemed so easy in the beginning, but now I'm like in a lot of fear and I know what to do, so this is what I'm doing and that's the steps, you know, because that's what gets me to God. And maintaining that conscious contact with God and holding on to serenity, what is that like today? I wasn't there for a while. Um, like I said, it, it takes a while of um, not doing the things that I'm used to doing in my routine, which has recently been pointed out to me, maybe like my shell. You know, so I'm still kind of afraid to try new things because I'm just, I am, I'm like so scared <laughs> yeah. of everything from before. Like I still feel like I'm in like shock about it. I hate it when people in AA, like they say, I have PTSD or whatever, <laughs> you know, but like I really do, but I don't want to talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, so. I mean, I don't know how different my story is from anybody else's, you know, but um, I would have to say that, I, that I'm probably not the only one with the same right? story. Somebody will say something and it hits home and then we're like, oh, my God, I think I'm in the yeah, right place. And I was so young, you know, just checking out pretty much for like 17 years straight, minus mm -hmm. the few months I went to jail here and there or whatever. Um, I don't know, they're just, that's a long time and I should have been growing as, you know, a person does naturally, whatever the hell that looks like, you know, but I didn't. So now I'm like in my upper 
mid-30s, and I still feel like I'm 22 most of the time, if that, you know, like, uh, yeah. life yeah. is, yeah. How much time did you do in jail? And tell us what that was like. I did, um, let's see, I think I was counting the other day, time in four different counties in the Denver metro area, four or five. Um, the longest stint I did, I think, was like a hundred and some days. Man, did you have a big book? What'd you do in that time? No, I, <laughs> I don't know. Towards the end there, I was rotting inside, and I can't really explain that feeling. Wow. Um, but, you know, I mean, it took me a minute to bounce back. I went into solitary confi confinement because they, they thought I was crazy, basically. And so I was down where all the suicidal people are for 23 hours a day. They'll let you out for an hour to shower or whatever. And I couldn't understand why, why I was down there, but, I mean, thank God for the jail shrink that finally, like, put me on some kind of med that bounced my mind back to... You know. How many days were you in solitary confinement for? I don't even know. Probably three or four weeks. What did you think about? Did you have a chance to self-reflect? I don't even know that I would allow myself to, to like, answer that question because I, guess I didn't know, and that's right. the scary the scary thing, you know, it's like... Was there a moment of clarity in there? There was, and after I left jail that last time in 2014, I went to... Um, a sober home for a couple years and started working at the treatment center that the lady wanted to open and then got in a relationship with some dude from the you know from okay. from the sober house and then moved in with him and I mean he was a recovering cocaine addict and I didn't know he was using like it was just this crazy ridiculous I, I bet, shit the I same bet. crazy bullshit that I don't I bet they're not <laughs> no, no, they're not. I'm pretty sure he sent a process server to my house wow. a year or two ago. But anyway, so you just learn, like, I don't know. The first thing was is that I really did just have to get sober, and it took me a minute. Even after coming into these rooms, like, for real, for me, um, I started working the steps with a sponsor, and I think I relapsed once in four, and then again... Um, in nine, and that's where my story, I don't know if you've heard it, that I had to make amends for making amends to my mom. <laughs> um, okay, I had um, been planning this trip to Florida to go make amends to my mother from my previous, you know, BS. And... Um, for whatever reason, I thought it was a good idea. I was like, oh, I'll just go have one beer that night because I'm on vacation now, you know. I don't know why that popped into my head at that particular moment, but I did, and then it was another thing that I, you know, I'd been up all night, and I was at the airport, and I'm like, <laughs> like about to feel like I'm gonna have a heart attack in the airport, you know, going through security, and I flew out there, tried to pretend like nothing was wrong, and then proceeded to make my amends for the shit that I was basically just doing, you know, like, so I had to go back and re-amend that. Wow. <laughs> so it hasn't been, I mean, like they say, it is a simple program. Um, and sometimes, you know, when we're in the sunlight of the spirit, it feels like it's really good and everything's really good, but it's not always 
it's not always that way. And I'm learning that, that without a continual um, conscious decision to seek God in the best way that I know how to, which includes Alcoholics Anonymous to a very large degree that um, even still today, I'm screwed. Like, I'm not fixed, and I'll never be fixed, I don't think. You know, I just live in a mind that'll always take me back to a drink, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah, crazy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. unless, right, right, <laughs> unless um, I'm spiritually fit. I mean, really, we're still babies, I feel like. I still feel brand new most of the time. You mentioned a couple relapses. Looking yeah. back, can you attribute those to any moment or like? No, not really. I mean, it, it, there's a place in the book that says, you know, when we ask another alcoholic really why they drank, that we usually don't have any more idea than you do, you know, and it was kind of like that. I can speculate, you know, um, and say, well, I've had trauma, but that sounds kind of puss, so who cares? You know, um, you know, you can speculate, but really it comes back to I'm an alcoholic, whatever. That means I'm different um, mentally and physically. At what uh, moment did you accept that? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> I was about mm, two blocks from here, and my dad and Jen, my dad had left the Al-Anon meeting, I think, or I'd met up with Jen. Um, and this was the last time I went out. And I was out for like, I don't know, it was only like two or three or four weeks this time. I mean, it can be years at a time, you know. Oh, yeah. um, but for some reason, this hit me really hard. And I was just so tired. And um, Jen basically told me I was at the point where I just wanted to run because I didn't want to face all the shame and humiliation and the pain that I had inflicted on other people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and at that moment, it really came down to, am I going to choose to live or am I going to choose to die? And Jen and I sat there, and she basically really had to tell me that. And I did. I almost ran. I almost did. It was a really, really scary day. And then finally, my dad... Um, and Jen walked me into the like back way of my building, you know, to take me up the back elevators as to not embarrass myself or others. And then the security guys thought I was some homeless person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a big whole ordeal. Yeah, and then I'm pretty sure I don't know if you were there like two or three days later when I came back in. Because, I mean, it took a couple days for me to detox and all that. Like, I bet I was there. I couldn't tell you how much time I had, though, at, at that point. Right. I was well, not. Struggling. We had about the same amount of time before that happened, Something right? Like that, yeah. And today you sit here with some success in your life. Well, the success is that I'm sitting here today, and that's what the trip kind of is. And um, what, in a weird kind of way, must make me think that God does love me because he saw that I was worth saving. Um, so that must mean that he has some stuff for me to do, right? Like, that's the conclusion that I come to. And um, I still struggle with myself. Like, there are certain things that I've given to God, like my 
you know, alcohol and hard drug problems, you know, but there's still things that sometimes I feel like I want to change the way I feel, so I'll take an extra muscle relaxer that I'm prescribed to or whatever, you know. And that's not a good place for me to be. Um, but overall, I, <laughs> I don't know, I, I literally went from, you know, robbing stores and sitting next to homeless people next to dumpsters downtown because I'm trying, I'm all paranoid trying to get high, whatever, you know, wow. to working um, in a law firm that is basically like, I think you saw in that other video, is basically like the first real career job of my life. Like everything else was like restaurants and me trying to fix myself. It was just a mess. Like nothing worked when I tried to run my own life, nothing. And God is just so cool sometimes, like the things that he puts into people's lives. Like, I don't know if you know about the MyPillow guy, Mike Lindell, you know the MyPillow yeah, guy? My yeah, guy. dude, he just wrote a book that's called From Crack Addict to CEO. Yeah. And his net worth is like 300 million now. But there's not too many people that just come out and be like, yeah. <laughs> well, no. You know? You yeah, I did. Love it. Yep, I read it twice. I and need I, to get it. yeah, you do need to get it. You do. Um, so I feel like God throws stuff like that in my life, just like letting me know like that it'll be okay. So he's on TV all the time and his commercials are annoying, but now I'm like, oh my God, that's my friend. That's my new role model. <laughs> I interrupt this commercial to bring you another yes. commercial. <laughs> yes. This is the same commercial? <laughs> yeah, read his book. Okay, you know, I love how God can make... Like, he would never guess, you know, um, and he is unapologetically, like, loves Jesus, and it's awesome, dude, oh, yeah. like, just yeah, how... I him do the, the Trump thing, and even Trump was like, oh, I don't know what he's do <laughs> like, man, if you... Uh, make, dude, oh my God, it's such... You make Trump blush. It's such a good book. That would probably upset other people, because that's all... Well, that's okay. Kind of an outside issue, but not really when it comes down to us. Like, I would encourage everyone to read that book because it was. It was one of those things I needed that's to, great. yeah. I'm going to pick that book up. I love the guy. I love his, oh, I mean, my God. And his are pillows awful, are great. I'm going to get everybody my pillows for Christmas. He has, a, he has a wonderful success story and all that. He I does. He's. Kind of smile when I see him on TV. I was like, I yeah, he's such, yeah. I'm like, that is, <laughs> that dude's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like my life kind of is like that. Like, I don't know. One second, I went from, you know, being over to a dumpster that smells like pee next to some dude I don't even really know just because, like, he wants to get high. I'm like, okay. And then tomorrow, I could be a multimillionaire. You just never know. You You're know? really just getting started. Yeah, which is is cool. But I, I don't know. We'll see what God has next. I mean, oh, it's hard. Oh, there's something coming. Do you think? We're always moving. As long as we're doing the next right thing, it feels like there's always something coming up. Yeah. Which right. scares the hell out of me. Like, <laughs> I'm just telling you that right. does, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. So, if you could go back and give a piece of advice to day one, Kristen, what would it be? I guess it would be... that at that point you made the right choice.
because I already know what other way it would have went. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I'll just never forget that day. It was the worst day of my life and the best day of my life all at the same time, if that's even possible. But it was the worst. Like it, <laughs> it <was> the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had a lot of really worst days. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I feel blessed to be here today. But then we're crazy because sometimes it just feels like too much. Like, how can you have everything and still be depressed sometimes? You know what I mean? Like, I. Sure. I don't know. Because but I think normal people probably go through that, too. I don't know. All right, here's a tough question. What's your favorite drink these days? Dude, sparkly water of any kind. Yeah? Yeah. It's I the best. I probably drink, like, five of those a day. The sugar-free monsters I do indulge in as well. Monsters kind of scare me, though. Why? Because they could give me anxiety. Maybe they do. Maybe that's what's wrong with me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. I used to sleep on speed, so it's like, I don't know what to say. Any advice for the person who's new or struggling? Yeah, um, struggling sucks. Um, you know, life is life. We all struggle, whatever. Um, but we have a special thing that that if you're like me, uh, there there had better be a God. And I would just encourage you to really do what these people in AA tell you to do in regards to doing the work because that's where I found my connection with the God of my understanding, which I still don't really understand. <laughs> but it's been a really, really cool trippy journey. And it's still so new, I still feel like a little kid, you know? I mean, so don't be too hard on yourself. Just, I don't want to say keep coming back, because that's annoying when people say that, because they always say that, but um, keep coming back, I guess. You know, I have to tell myself that still sometimes, too. Um, I'll just say that God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Thank you, Kristen, for joining us today and sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. I loved this interview. We recorded this in the halls of the church, and she was just awesome. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I leave with a quote. Imagination reveals the possibilities beyond the edges of our reality. Al Air Nost. And with that, we'll see you next time.